keep pitching it is like we kind of have like a pinky in the brain energy <laughs> like he'll do these like crazy things and like you know constantly like get us into trouble and i'm constantly like worried and picking up the pieces and stuff. so it's like exaggerated versions of ourselves and he's always saying narf yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making it in this crazy biz and how they're almost, almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and today's guest has been a writer on The Neighbors, Kevin from Work, and the upcoming season of AP Bio. He's the creator of Fairytale Theater 18 and Over and co-creator of Michael and Michael Are Gay. It's the insanely prolific and talented Michael Feldman. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. <laughs> That's no joke, very prolific. Ever since I've known you, which has been a while now, you always seem to be one of those people with the, the gift of setting your mind to something, creating it, and then actually doing it. Yeah, I think it's partly um, just uh, kind of just knowing that death is always around the corner. <laughs> so it's like, well, you know what? This could end at any moment, anytime, so I might as well, you know, just try to get it done. It's, it's funny now during the quarantine, I feel like, it's been harder for me to keep like pushing and get that. Like I'll keep, I'll have these creative sparks, but then like spiral into, oh, what's the point of doing this now? And blah, 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 blah. But I'm still writing a lot of just, when I have like ideas for like sketches or something, I'm just like, oh, I can't muster the will to just have fun, I guess, right now. It was fine when death was around the corner, but yes. now that he's at the yeah. door. <laughs> I prefer like, death, uh, you know, <laughs> at least two blocks away. <laughs> Yeah, you can see him. You can be like, well, let's go a different way. But when he's this close, it's like, okay, maybe. Once he gets west of Robertson, it's over for me. <laughs> Michael created this show called Fairytale Theater 18 and Over, which was a hilarious show. What was kind of the germ of the idea of that show? Uh, it came from a few different places that all kind of like converged all at once. I um, was just going through a rough time after... When I, like a few years after moving here, I was just like, oh, I don't know what to do next. Like, I feel like, I feel like I have all this stuff, you know, pent up in me, but I don't know like what exactly to do. And an old uh, teacher of mine from NYU recommended that I read uh, Steve Martin's Born Standing Up. And I read that in like one sitting and it just completely changed my life and changed my outlook on so much. And I just love how much he just like, balls to the wall went for it like just the weirdest shit ever on uh on stage and i'm just like yeah you know what i'm i'm gonna be a squirrel on stage i just had this idea of, like this squirrel just waking up from hibernating from for winter and he can't find the nut that he buried away before the winter and he's like screaming at the audience looking for this nut and so i did that and it was going so well that i was like i wish i could like put it in in some sort of like container and i remember at the time i was dating someone and it was like this weird, like, oh, is this a date? Is it not? Are we just friends? I don't know. I'm like, I wish there was like, like an adult fairy tale that would tell me like those things. And then all of that kind of hit all at once. Like, oh, that squirrels, animals, puppets, and everything just kind of came together from there. Very nice. Yeah, because fairy tale theater 18 and over are, I guess, like fables or allegories, but for adults. They yes. have the whimsy and kind of fun of, like you mentioned, puppets and animal creatures. But what they're dealing with is like porn addiction or, you know, is it day to date or you know, all these things. So it's with Fairytale Theater, you actually took that to the Fringe Festival. Yes. Uh, in 
Edinburgh. Yep. In 2015. That was, uh, yeah, that was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Like, uh, yeah, I, it, it was so much money and I don't regret a moment of it because it was just, I, I, you know, because we're in, we've been in LA for so long and performing here that it's, it's, uh, it's just a totally different energy. It's like there, it's just, oh, everybody's like coming out to support and they genuinely just want to like have fun and laugh. <laughs> sure. You mentioned Steve Martin, but growing up, who were some of your kind of comedy or acting influences or even writing influences? Uh, yeah, it was like Steve Martin, uh, Robin Williams, Billy Crystal, uh, Eddie Murphy, Lily Tomlin was a big one. When I saw Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe on Broadway, uh, that show kind of was like, oh, this is what I want to do. I had a few of those moments So uh, in like mm-hmm. high school and college. You grew up in New York, correct? Yeah, Brooklyn. Were you like constantly going to theater and live performances? Yeah, my parents would, uh, they loved Broadway as well. So we would go often like on the weekends into the city and go to see a show. I remember when, I like specifically remember when New York, like before New York was actually uh, safe and all that, like before the <laughs> Disneyfication of Midtown. I remember we would like go to a show and as soon as we'd get out, my parents would be like, just keep your head down, let's walk to the car. <laughs> so. You left the theater very similar to how Bruce Wayne would left the theater as a kid. Exactly. It's very yeah. just, just keep your head down, keep focused, keep moving. <laughs> I come from a long line of warriors and anxiety ridden beautiful people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that became clear with the first answer being death is around the corner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, though, with, with the thought of death or anxiety, that that seems to be a source of fuel. Mm-hmm. Do you find like you're someone who is in a way a little grateful for it because you're like, it pushes you to get things done? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting. I keep like, I do every now and then have this feeling of like, that, you know, like I read the news these days and I'm like, my fury is at, you know, a 12 and I'm, and it's hard. I find it hard to be humorous in those moments because I realize when my anxiety like takes over, it's when I actually like can step aside and like take a, you know, a look at it outside myself and be like, okay, this is crazy. This is people would think, or this is something we could all, you know, laugh about and, and understand together. And it's when it's like, when I lose that perspective, I, that's when I, it's kind of a wake up call for me of like losing, you know, losing my sense of humor. Cause I'm just like too frightened at that mm-hmm. point. I'm like, well, what's the point of anything? It's like when you lose the hope, I feel like is that's, that's kind of the line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so hold it on to hope. If you're almost too much within yourself, it's too hard to kind of create comedy. But when you can even step outside of yourself and look almost objectively and go, this is crazy. Where's the humor in it? Yeah. And there's so many times where, yeah, I just think that anxiety is so funny if you can really, you know, harness it in the right way. And fairly universal. I think, like, I don't know too many people who haven't experienced at least some level of anxiety about something. Sure, sure. And I don't trust anybody who's like just so well adjusted to the point that they look at me like, what are you talking about? Like, how could you not even know about this fear? So, but I guess they're not living in the same kind of fucked up place that we are, maybe. Now, as you kept pursuing this career, do you have for yourself a personal definition of success? Overall, I would say I want to make a living from what I do and feel proud of the work that I do. I feel like I'm moving forward maybe not 
you know, it's, I know that it won't always be forward in my like career, so to say, like, oh, I get job after job. Like, that's not just how this business works, but moving forward in, in terms of my own personal creative voice and what I'm saying and, and how I'm honing that and, and refining that. Because sometimes I feel like, oh, yeah, I'm on top of the world. And then the next day it's like, what the fuck do I think I'm doing? I don't know anything about writing. Why did I even do this in the first place? So it's that. And now with that definition, have there been any points when like fame or fortune have kind of been a part of it? Or has it always been like, oh, that'd be nice? Or do you have moments where you're like, yeah, I'm striving for that. I would like that. Sure. I mean, you know, one of the earliest times was really when I was first doing like the year, the first year of doing fairy tales. I was given um, a year-long residency at the Acme Theater, which doesn't exist anymore. But uh, and I decided to give myself that insane challenge of uh, putting on a new, a brand new show every month. And I just, you know, it was like one of the poorest, like financially, I've ever been in my life. But I just felt so inspired constantly and like really good about the work I was doing. And yeah, I just felt like, oh yeah, I'm like in rhythm with the life that I want. And, it's been hard ever since <laughs> say that, but there's, you know, definitely moments where, you know, I tap into that again. So. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to remember not to like, you know, rest all my laurels on that or keep th- getting into this negative thought process of thinking, well, you know, maybe my best work's behind me, all that stuff that like creeps in. Sure. So. But yeah. you do have, you can pull from an experience of knowing like, it's not necessarily about the money. It's about the creative outlet. Because there really is nothing quite like either performing something or writing something that you're like, I, I love it. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Before you even, before anyone else gets an opinion or a thought or even tells you it's great, when you personally are like, wow, I just made this little thing. It's just in this weird bubble with just me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thrilled about it. Yeah. That, that's number one for me. That, that's like the best feeling. And, you know, I used to say like money doesn't matter. And now as I'm older, I'm like money fucking matters. And I'm tired of, you know, always scrambling. It's like, so it's, but it's like, it's a very close second. I would say. And now you, you've written on shows and you've written pretty consistently on shows. Do you recall, what was it like when you first got hired? Yeah, it felt great you know <laughs> just be like oh wow I this is what I've been you know hoping for for a long long time and th- this is what I've been working towards and I've been very fortunate that the jobs I've had have all been just like incredible work environments just like great people to work for and work with and you know I, I used to believe before I became a writer like a tv writer I, I used to believe like that that would be really tough for me because I really loved you know, working on my own stuff and then like to actually have to like write for other people and all that stuff. I thought that would be way more difficult. And in a way it's, uh, I actually find it way easier now, partly because I just love, I didn't realize how much I love being in a writer's room and just like making all these incredibly hilarious people like just laugh all day. It's just super, like, I'm like, how is this a job? <laughs> like all we're doing is like make each other laugh all day. But also I find it easier in that I'm able to now be like, okay, this is like my job and this is like what I need to do. Whenever I go back now to my own stuff, I'm like, I, I you know, overthink the crap out of everything. I'm like, is this what I want to say? Is this, is this what it is? And there's so much personal angst. Whereas like with somebody else's thing, I could be like, you know, I, I'm, this is like a thing that I just have to, a responsibility that I have to do. And if I could get that mentality work for my own work, <laughs> I think I'd be a little bit more sane. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're benefited by 
a boss in a way, or someone would be like, we need these pages or we need this done. And you go, okay. But when it's for yourself, you almost have to create your own boss yeah. to be like, exactly. get me these pages. But when that doesn't exist, you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> Which I've always been good about, but now recently as I get older, I'm just like, I, uh, yeah, it's it, whenever, <laughs> when, if you're doing it for yourself, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it takes a, a lot more than just like, well, I'm going to hope for the best. Yeah, it's truly a labor of love in that in that space. Have you felt or thought at times in your career where you were like, oh, I've made it? Or are you someone that is like, never gives that definition because there's always something else? It, that, it's tough because I, I, I never felt like, you know, like when you're first starting out, when you first move here, you kind of think like, oh, wow, if I could just like break through, then like, you know, things will be coming in, you have opportunities and all that. And I just realized, like, as I've been in this business now for a while, I'm just like, oh, that, it never truly comes. Like, you keep, you just have to always do your best. <laughs> Otherwise, you just don't get more work. It's as simple as that. So you constantly have to, you know, put in 110% and like, you know, have your eye on like, what's the next thing? What, what's the plan down the road? But I finally had to point to like a moment where I felt like, wow, this, like, I feel really like, like something's happening right now. Not necessarily like I made it, but like, oh, this, this feels like a huge big step was um, when I, when I pitched fairy tales as a TV show to FX and they bought it in the room and uh, Billy Crystal was attached to produce and he was like sitting next to me and like, yeah, they just said yes to me. And I'm like, oh, that's how, that's how this happens. And like, that was cool. Like, cause I just gave this whole, you know, the whole pitch and it was like my very first pitch and I was terrified. And there was like a, 15 people there, like on either side of this long, long conference table. So it was like shitting bricks. And at the end of it, they said like, well, we, we would like to do this with you. And I'm like, oh, okay. It was just like, took me by surprise. So everything else after that went down. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, that was a, that was a great moment. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Cause I mean, yeah, being your first pitch, who knows how it's going to go, but a network being like, we like your idea and we would like to make it regardless what that becomes later in that moment. It's like, Oh, phew. I'm not some crazy person just yeah. shouting in a room and they're just like, well, okay. But also you mentioned that you uh, were working with or to meet Billy Crystal, who earlier you said is, was one of your influences. What, like, that must have been incredible. Yeah, incredible. And, and there were so many times where we had meetings where I really felt like, like George Costanza in Seinfeld when he like wants to leave on a joke. <laughs> like if I made him laugh at all, I'm just like, well, can we please end the meeting right now? <laughs> yeah, it, it just was, yeah, incredible experience. But it's also got to be interesting because you were in a situation with uh, like Crystal where it wasn't like he came to show and he's like, that was great. I liked it. And you're like, oh, wow, that would also feel great. But he liked it to the point to be like, I want to work on this with you. Like, I want to help create and shop this around. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, that definitely was a, a huge, uh, <laughs> big boost for, uh, for self-esteem <laughs> and to feel like, oh, I'm, I guess I am on some sort of right track. You know, looking back, I still wish that I had more of a, a business mind about things. I just don't. You know, I, I produce out of necessity. Like, I don't do it because I, I like it. I do it because, like, oh, no, otherwise this won't get done. But, um, yeah, I'm, I, I don't have that mind. And when I see people who do, I'm like, oh, I could see why <laughs> you're successful. And, like, what? Because I'm, I, you know, I come from, like, a theater background in NYU, like, where you're trained to 
know like you're just going to be you know a starving artist for the rest of your life so i'm not if i could be happy with the work that i'm doing that's usually enough for me i i tend to forget the the business piece of it all mm -hmm. but it is a very crucial piece that i i'm always a little amazed that that isn't a course or focus at colleges for theater majors yeah but going through it and, and learning more as you went through what are some things you would share with your younger self or would wish someone would have been like hey pay attention to this or ignore that i mean it's kind of what i've been even telling my current self to what i just was mentioning about like patience you know because there was so many times where i just like I felt like, well, what's the point? Why am I doing this? Like, if I'm been this long and doing it, how could I not have, like calm down? <laughs> like, just keep doing what they're doing. And truthfully, it's like, you know, they say like, oh, if you could do anything else, then do that thing. And I really never felt like I could do anything else. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm not. I'm really not like excited or happy about doing anything else. I'm not particularly good at other things. I'm like, this is what I really love to do. And and getting in the writer's room um getting paid for that that's what i really realized like oh yeah this i i just feel at home here i just i love this now are you still doing are there still remote writer's rooms going on right now during quarantine or is everything kind of stopped or there are i know a few people who are uh in writer's rooms via zoom i am not yeah my my job on uh, ap bio ended actually uh the end of february like two weeks before everything got shut down so i was kind of mentally prepared to be out of work for a while uh not quite in the same way but and now and and just yeah just getting to have a little time to work on my own projects i had a few things that were lined up that like that i put on the back burner that i was like gearing up and like ready to go full full throttle on but then you know the town got shut down. So now I'm just kind of writing and trying to, you know, hone the ideas and scripts that I've already had in my head. You also are co-creator of the show, Michael and Michael are Gay. You made this with your husband, also named Michael, mm -hmm. also gay, mm -hmm. which is convenient mm -hmm. for a relationship. <laughs> um, and for the title. Yes. How did that come about? Was it mostly from you? Was it both of you? It was kind of both of us. We just realized like early on that, you know, we, we had a very funny comedic sensibility the two of us together like the way we keep pitching it is like we kind of have like a pinky in the brain energy <laughs> like he'll do these like crazy things and like you know constantly like get us into trouble and I'm constantly like worried and picking up the pieces and stuff so it's like exaggerated versions of ourselves and he's always saying narf yeah exactly <laughs> You know him. Have you, did you find it easy kind of working together? I know that can always be a risky thing or... Yeah, no, it's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a challenge. Um, we, uh, we just have to... I think when we would like get on, get on like a tear, just like write together, then it would feel good. But a lot of times uh, we just have like... I keep wanting to say it's not... We have very similar sensibilities but different... Uh, working styles and so sometimes that like you know butted heads with each other but uh for the most part been super fun and it's you know the hardest thing I think is like trying to to create boundaries with your real life when you're creating a show that's based on your real life and even characters based on your real life too because you don't want to be you know feel like you have to just be a slave to like what happened in real life or something, you know, like you're, you're constantly trying to come up with what's the, 
what's the funniest like comedic way in for each of us like what what makes us funny what's funny about us around other people and then you know kind of distill that down into the script and that's what's so hard about fucking quarantine because we're barely around any other people so it's like i don't know what's funny are we just fucking crazies also i gotta imagine that there's prime moments when you'd almost have to separate and be like okay no we gotta just we have to be present and exist and not keep thinking in the back of my mind like is this an episode is this is this what we're talking about i think it's like yeah you almost have to have moments where you're like yeah no we're uh, we're a loving married couple first and when we set the time to create, that's when we can think back. But not every moment needs to be like a... Yeah. No, I think that's very important. And uh, that is hard for me, too. It's just hard, like, because you, as a writer, you always feel like you're writing at every moment. So it's hard to turn it off. With writing, do you have a steady, or I guess it's different now, but did you have a steady process? Like, were you someone who I write every day at this time and this time? Did you kind of just go, eh, I'll just write when I write? I have a fairly steady process but not um it's some the times would change a lot like especially if i had a job you know i would make sure to like work on my own stuff for a little bit after uh the job and obviously not as much because my brain would be fried from the rest of the day yeah but and then when i don't have a job i would like i would say you know i try to at least like sit in front of the computer for uh like four hours and uh and just you know, get something done. And I've, I've been better about, I used to always just feel like, oh, if I didn't get what I wanted, like done, or it wasn't, you know, flowing that day, I would feel like it was a, a bad day. Mm-hmm. And now I'm trying to reframe that to look at it as a neutral day. Like at least I showed up, like it might not have come. Yeah. Cause that, that's the biggest thing is to, to realize like, as long as you like sit down in front of the computer, sometimes, you know, it, it's hard. Um, so to give yourself, again, comes back to, to patience. Mm-hmm. But yeah, give yourself the space and time to realize like, yeah, sometimes you sit down with the intention to write and it doesn't happen or you don't write what you want to write, but there is the power and the consistency of being like, well, you just show up every day. Yeah. Yeah. Because eventually it adds up and you get the pages you want, you get the ideas down. You talk a lot about patience and I feel like that is key. How have you learned to cope, I guess, with those stretches of, in a way, neutral days or where you're like, I don't know where I'm going. It's easy to pinpoint it up. It's easy to pinpoint it down, but there's a lot more of those middling days. Yeah. I mean, I think you just have to stick with it no matter what, like every fiber of my being will keep telling me like, Oh, I don't want to do this. Or like, I want to go on Facebook or something. And just like, you have to sit here, you have to do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, a, a negative coping mechanism of mine, I would say is, and especially like something that happened on, on AP bio. Cause I, had such a blast on that show that there was a lot of times where I wouldn't be living in the moment. I would just be thinking about how like, this is all going to end soon. <laughs> Focusing on that, of course. So to, to like kind of emotionally prepare for <laughs> I know I'm a load of fun. Um, but I would say that's a negative coping mechanism. I'm trying to do less of that. It just kind of, you know, the flip side of that, which is to enjoy the moment, enjoy, you know, I think when you do have it, because everything is so fleeting. Yeah, I, yeah. There is a weird thing where my brain goes there too, where I can be having the best time, but then there's a little voice that goes, "Everything ends." Yes, exactly. <laughs> like it, I try to flip it to where it's helpful. When I'm like, when times are bad, I go, "Even this won't last." And when times are good, I try to remember 
this won't last, so really enjoy it. Yeah. But yeah, when you're in the writer's room and you're like, this is the most fun, it's hard not to be like, well, eventually we're going to do a final season, right, guys? Eventually <laughs> this is all over. No show can go on forever. Yeah, I wrote a, I wrote a scene based on that recently where – uh, it's about this guy who's like tripping on hallucinogenics and uh, is looking at the moon and hears the voice of God talking to him. And he's like, what's the point of life? And then Boone says, the, the point of all this, the purpose of everything is to be happy. He's like, oh, it's like, what, what, what's the problem? Like, yeah, but I spent so much time not being happy. Like, yeah, okay, but you know, from, from this moment forward, like, I know, but all that wasted time, like, yes, but that's not what you're supposed to focus on. <laughs> so it's like kind of like that. <laughs> it's like, no matter what, we'll always get to focus on the wrong thing. <laughs> yes, that's great. I love it. Are you someone, when ideas come to you, they truly feel lightning a bottle out of the blue, or is it a bit more methodical? Like you do think like when you sit down and take the time to write, that the ideas flow or is it kind of like you go about your day and like boom, an idea that you have to get down? I, I think it's always different, you know, sometimes out of the blue, but I would say like the majority is from uh, one of the greatest things I ever got from the artist way, which I've never finished. But that first chapter is about, you know, doing um, uh, morning pages every morning. And I've been doing that fairly consistently for like since since college, um, like where I just wake up and for a half an hour just free write, and that's where a lot of a lot of ideas come and 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 whenever they do, I always remind myself like, hey, this is why you need to be doing this consistently because if I didn't get up and write for half an hour today, I would have never had that idea. Like that just came while I was, you know, and so that's that's really when I think about that, that's a big kick in the butt to like just sit down and do that, and you know the majority of times it's just like meaningless or me just saying like, what's the point? What's the point? <laughs> so I get that out of my head for the day. But, you know, sometimes like this little spark will be there, like, Oh, that's what I'm, that's what I want to do. Or It's funny you mentioned that I've been doing morning pages for probably four or five years now, not as long as you have, but I do find that if nothing else, the benefit is the clearing of my brain in those first like 30 minutes mm -hmm. where absolutely, I realize if I ever go a day or a little longer where I just like, whatever life happens, I don't do it. I find my ability to be creative or produce or write is diminished greatly because now my brain is just going through those like ruminating and cycling on things where in the morning pages, I'm like, Oh, this is when I can spend like the whole, all the pages just writing the same sentence over and over of like, you're terrible. So I can just get it out of my head and then I can sit down and be like, yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, that's in a journal somewhere. Totally. I do find though, what's yeah. nice with the morning pages. I, I have a slight fear that one day when I am gone, someone will go through and be like, this guy was a crazy person. But I'm grateful that my handwriting is so horrible. There's no way they can read it. I think about that all the time. <laughs> like this is really dark, depressing. And most of this doesn't even make sense. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Do you find like, do you ever write down an idea and then later in the day, like, oh, I need to go look back at it and then can't read your own handwriting? Because that happens to me all the time. Where I'm like, oh, I Constantly. have this idea. And I, I flip through and I'm like, what the? It looks alien. It looks like somebody who is just like carving weird things into stone. <laughs> Constantly. And then I'll be like spending most of my time trying to figure out what I wrote instead of just like, I know basically what's there. Like I could move on, but like, no, I need to figure out exactly the phrasing that I used that I clearly can't write. We'll find ways to procrastinate. Oh yeah. Well now is a fun time in the show. 
uh, where I invite my special guest, famed insult comic, Raz Clifford. He loves to come in, talk to the guests, take them down a peg before they think they're too famous. So let's get him out here. Let's get Raz Clifford out here. Well, hello, folks. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's interesting to see you on this podcast, Michael Feldman. I'm not sure if you qualify for Almost Almost Famous. A better podcast for you would be Almost Almost Blech. Oh, my, Michael, I didn't know that Zoom had a Jew filter. <laughs> now, everybody listen up. Michael is an incredible writer and performer. I'm serious. Just ask him. He'll tell you at length. <laughs> And if any of you get so lucky as watching a Michael Feldman performance, it will take you to new heights. Because after seeing them, you'll want to jump off of a roof. <laughs> you got razzed. Boom. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. If you ever see me, please do not talk to me. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for asking, Clifford. Oh, man. Like he he always joke. is spitting cream cheese a lot. <laughs> So, yes, exactly. He always, <laughs> always just has, you know, a full bagel with schmear and locks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, uh, do you feel like in your career that you've, you've ever gotten bad advice? Like you could pinpoint it, either you followed it or you didn't, but you were like, that's bad because the world is full of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. I feel like a, gotten a ton i can't like pinpoint specifically i think you know it was just hard for me when i first moved here because i was like oh i need it like i'm gonna do the acting thing and i'm gonna get a headshot and i'm gonna send it out to the casting directors and i'm gonna take these workshops because that's what everybody's doing and that's what i'm supposed to be doing and then it really like everything kind of clicked for me when i realized you know reading that steve martin book and realizing oh no just like do your thing here because i never that's never been my path is like to like audition and like get in or something so when i figured out just how to like be me but in la that's kind of that's what i would say so it, it's it, there's no set way to like do anything it's just like you kind of have to follow follow your instincts follow your gut like so many people told me when i first thought about fairy tales are like why are you doing it as a theater show you should be like shooting it and you know what maybe they're right maybe i would be following further along but that's i really i it was harder for me to like grasp that and it was easier for me to like see it as a theater show and have fun with that and um you know and i got my first writing gig uh through that because the my boss saw that show so you know i would say just kind of you know the typical artist advice of like just follow your heart and follow your gut like oh this feels good i want to keep doing that and just work your ass off on it until something happens yeah because i agree like there's so many different avenues and paths and it's impossible to pinpoint whatever one is the correct one but you almost indefinitely know the ones that aren't correct when you're in them yeah. and you go i hate this i'm doing something i love but i don't like how i'm getting there or what's going on and yeah for very telling i'm sure a lot of people were like well, film it put it out there make a webisode and that's how things get done but you really kind of to tap into yourself and know like, no, this, this feels like a live theater thing. Like I, that's cause yeah, maybe you try to film it and you only filmed like one yeah. as opposed to having several shows and several scripts and several ideas yeah. that you can pull from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the bad advice is the one that you take, but doesn't ring true to you. Exactly. 
Yeah. So many different ways to do things and get things done these days and, and to, to showcase yourself and, you know, and your creativity. So I feel like, you know, don't always think like, oh, somebody else like has the answers or something because they say like, oh, I did this, this, that like you could do the exact same things that somebody else does and not get anywhere and just be spinning your wheels. So, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like there's so many times when you'll come to me and say, you need to do your own fairy tale theater. Like exactly. that's the advice you give everyone because it worked for you. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I'm still waiting all these years. <laughs> Where is your fairy tale show? <laughs> so. How that would be so great if you did give that advice and you were like adamant about it and you wanted all your friends just to <laughs> just to walk us somewhere. I love that there's an alternate timeline where I became like super like famous had my own show like peewee herman and then like whenever somebody asked me what what do you suggest to a young person I'm like you have to do a fairy tale show like, <laughs> for adults right, exactly <laughs> get your own puppets have you ever thought of or thinking of it now that one day you're a huge success and famous because i i feel that way about all my friends and i think that way about you that it's not a matter of if but when You'll be a guest on a late night talk show. Have you thought about the story or a story you'd want to tell? I actually haven't thought of that that much. I, it just really depends on, I guess, the project that I'm, uh, <laughs> that I'm promoting. Because um, one, one of my favorite stories was about the first time that I did shrooms. And I'm actually, what I was t- telling you about the, the guy like talking to the voice of God in the moon is this pilot that I'm working on uh, for myself that's this guy who gets stuck in a mushroom trip so I always think like oh I would if I was promoting this show I would talk about the first time that I did shoots which was uh, in Amsterdam the summer after my uh, freshman year of college Uh, my friend Julie met me there and I was nervous but like ready to do anything I'm like I'm going to Europe to find myself and which you know was code for go halfway around the world and sleep with men not near my parents. <laughs> uh, but while I was there, I was like, I'm going to do anything, like drugs, whatever. So in Amsterdam, you know, it's legal to do shrooms and Julie meets me there. She's like, let's do shrooms. I'm like, okay. So we go into a store and the guy's like, oh, you're newbies. You're going to want to try the Hawaiian blend. It's really like, it's natural. It feels really good. You want to take one cap, one stem, wait a half hour and things go crazy. And you know, don't be any, anywhere claustrophobic. You want to like sit outdoors, like, and so, you know, Amsterdam's a gorgeous city. So we're like, oh, we'll sit on the canal. We'll, we'll do shrooms. It'll be great. And, as the sun's going down. And um, I remember I, for, it was like, like $20, $25 for like a bag filled with shrooms. We're like, he like threw an action. He's like, yeah, have fun. It's like, what are we going to do with all these? It's fine. So we sit by one of the canals. We take one cap, one stem, wait, nothing. So wait a little longer, we don't feel anything. So we do the, you know, the card, break the cardinal rule, taking more because <laughs> we didn't feel anything. So we took some more, didn't feel anything, waited like an hour, hour and a half, still nothing. And we finished basically the entire bag. <laughs> so, but we keep checking in with each other. Are you okay? No, you, I don't feel anything. So we start walking around and then I see this long line of people wrapped around this place. I go to see what it was and it was Anne Frank's house. And I remember like I've been wanting to go to Anne Frank's house when I go to Amsterdam. So we're online and we keep checking with each other and we're like, this is not, you know, like make sure we cannot do this. Yes, like I don't feel anything. No, he like, you know, he, he 
stole our money. Like, it's not going to work. Forget about it. It's fine. We get there. And it's like, the it was like out of a movie. Like, the moment we put our money down, the I remember, like, the, the wooden paneling on the ticket counter when we started just rotating. And I go inside and everything is just kind of like illuminated it's spinning and i'm like oh god oh god this is really bad and you know it has a different effect on everyone and the, the effect that it had on me was that for hours on end i just wanted to laugh my fucking head off and here we are <laughs> Frank's house. so uh so i kept like giggling like stifling laughter but passing it off as i that i'm crying <laughs> so and and it kind of it I'm sure it looked fucking batshit crazy, but I thought that I was getting away with it. And then I remember, you know, you're not supposed to be getting anywhere claustrophobic, and we're heading into the attic where she hid from the Nazis. <laughs> and I remember Julie going up and she's like looking directly up the stairs and she's like, I can't, and puts her head down, and this woman behind us is like, Oh, there, there, child. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> and finally I just remember we just needed to get out of there as quick as possible and all I remember from like there was a final room where it was dedicated to all of the different languages that it's that the diary has been translated into and all I remember was Anne Frank's face just like coming at us from every direction <laughs> and I just like ran out of, and we burst out of there like screaming and, and of course it was like right where the line is to go in so we looked like these American idiots uh, making fun of this thing and so you know basically I'm going to hell is what that story is <laughs> so. it truly is like out of a movie like person trying shrooms for the first time in Amsterdam of course it doesn't work and then their thought is eh we'll be fine let's go to the Anne Frank house like, of just, course like, yeah why would I think that <laughs> <laughs> like seems like the perfect recipe for what just happened <laughs> what a weird way to turn this like historical home into almost like a fun house yeah no, it was it was absolutely horrible <laughs> oh my gosh that is incredible that is so that's so yeah. funny yeah funny not my proudest moment well michael thank you so much for being on my podcast thank uh, you. Thanks I, know, for having me. I know times are crazy but do you have anything you're currently working on you mentioned a pilot you're writing or any other things yeah, I'm working on this pilot for myself, and then this. Uh, I have a, a writing partner who, uh, Debbie June, and we're we have a lot of TV writing jobs together, and we're we've been working on this feature for a while now. That uh, just and I, it was a batshit crazy idea that made us laugh really hard. So, and we know that nobody's gonna pay us to write it, so we're like, let's just write it ourselves, and that's what we're using this time now is to like just kind of uh, get it into good shape. Again, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. And thanks everyone for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous. Mm -hmm.